Writing is hard, but it's also fun. Start with this, a podcast featuring Night Vale creators Joseph Fink and me, Jeffrey Craner. Each episode, we discuss a topic and then give you two assignments, something to consume and something to create. Start with this, rhythm and rhyme. Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote fucking 47 love sonnets to her lover. Sonnets are damned hard, but they're amazing because like music, the rhythms and rhymes make them more memorable, more melodic. The univocalic is a poem that uses only one of the five vowels. The haiku is usually three lines and 17 syllables. Each of these poetry structures are restrictive and a bit maddening to create. And if you're a song or lyric writer, you've probably found yourself solving a lot of poetic puzzles. If you're a prose writer, you may not think about, let alone apply these techniques ever to your work. The blank screen is endless possibilities. Your story needs to get from your brain to your fingers to the page. You don't have time for rigid mechanical tinkering every couple of words. But for this episode, let's think of writing prose as a marathon you're going to run, and poetry is your workout, your diet, your practice. It builds muscle memory and stamina, the roughly 30 words that make up your trochaic pentameter sestet with A-A-B-A-B-B rhyme scheme might take you from three hours to three days to write, but it will make you value your words more when those restrictions are lifted for a standard freeform short story paragraph. We can't cover the history of poetry here, but we can certainly talk about some of our favorite and maybe least favorite techniques and how we use them in prose writing. I'm Jeffrey Craner, here with Joseph Fink. Ready, set, go. Hi, Joseph. Hi there. Hello. So I wanted to talk a little bit today about poetry. Hey, poetry. (laughs) Poetry, the the subject um, that many of us are experts on. Yep, all 100% experts. I imagine we will have a lot of listeners that are actually uh, studied poetry and are trained poets and are multi-billionaires right now. This is mostly a podcast for people who are pursuing graduate degrees right. in, in poetry. So we're going to talk a little bit of... I don't want to talk out of our butts. Um, that's the fart episode. But I do want to talk about poetry because it's something I use a lot. But the thing is, uh, I don't want those of you who are not poets to feel like this is a poetry episode. You're going to have to become poets. We're making you into poets. That's not what we're doing here. I think a lot of people don't want to write poetry because of... I don't know. Why do you think a lot of people choose prose over poetry? I think poetry feels... There's there's a lot of reasons. I think poetry feels more technical, and I think anything that's more technical. Uh, why do more people play rock than jazz? Because jazz has a technique that you need to learn, and not that rock has no technique, but if you can play a few chords, you can do a basic rock song. It's a lot harder to do a basic jazz song. Um, there's a lot more you need to learn. And I think it's the same with poetry of like storytelling is, is built into our lives. We all tell stories to each other. Most of us don't on off the cuff, tell poems to each other. That's not to say that we don't use poetry in our lives. I think that we are all aware of how words sound and we adjust how we talk in order to 
make those words sound the way we want them to sound. Uh, you know, kids these days, uh, and by kids <laughs> these days, I mean me, we, we use the word like, right? And we get a lot of shit for putting the word like into sentences. But like, the reason I think we do that is because it's a rhythmic technique. It's a way of spacing out the words and building out a rhythm to the sound that fits what you want to say. And, and we do that unconsciously. But I think, I think like in our speech is a, is a unconscious poetic technique. I completely agree that it's about finding that we have filler words like that, that we use um, is another one. And uh, at the end of the day, it's, there's other like common phrases that, that, that people add. Uh, some of it is to fill in time, but that's also a form of rhythm uh, as well as to keep the sound moving, to keep your idea flowing. I guess a question I would throw back at you is, say you're not a poet, why would you need to think about poetry? What What is the value of thinking about it? I think there are a few things. I think at the heart of poetry is there's a conciseness to poetry that forces you, all of that structure, all that puzzling forces you to get at the very heart of what it is you're trying to describe. And I think sometimes it can be pithy. Sometimes it can just be like a, a, just a simple phrase, a simple idea. Um, that's speaking of metaphor. I think the other element is I think is finding the beauty in the language. It makes it more memorable. When something has a rhythm, when something is musical, it becomes more memorable. It, it, it stays in your brain. It, it, there, there's something where it's more nicely gift wrapped, right? Like it's the idea of like, you can have a, like if you get some flowers, you're like, I need to get these flowers into a vase. You can just grab whatever like water pitcher you might have in your cabinet, fill it with water and put the flowers in it. But what's really nice is sometimes you get a, sometimes you get a very ornate crystal vase. Uh, to me, that's what poetry is, is that it becomes more of a centerpiece of thought, of the centerpiece of an idea, centerpiece of a story. And I think as writers, when we write, prose or when we write plays or we write a screenplay or we write um, a podcast, I think these techniques of poetry are really useful because I think it's important that you hear your own words and you see them on a page. You know how they're going to sound in the, in the reader's head or they're going to sound in the listener's head or they're going to you know, read when people watch this as a play. And finding those moments of where words meet words in a rhyme, uh, I think those beats are really fun. They're like hooks to a pop song. I think we're going to use a lot of like musical references here because at the heart, poetry and, and music go together. I mean, I think so much early storytelling was song. Um, it made it easier to memorize. There's a functional aspect to that. Mm -hmm. uh, but also that was a great way of telling stories. I'm just curious when you write, Joseph, like, do you think about the musicality of words ever as you're writing? Absolutely. Because... Okay, this this is going to get a little technical right off the bat, and I apologize about that. I, I feel like a lot of us who know a little bit about music, I, I feel like most of us who know even a little bit about music understand that music is mostly math, right? Like the way music works for us is mostly mathematical. Both, obviously, the rhythm is built around mathematics. I mean, literally, you get these certain number of beats and these beats have a certain value and it, it, it's an entire mathematics of that rhythm. Uh, but also melodies are built around these uh, intervals that are mathematical. And so I think our brains hear mathematics. And in the same way, language has that same thing of just certain things sound correct or sound good. I've said this uh, before, not, I don't think necessarily in this show, but there is lots of good storytellers or entertaining performers, 
but I feel like I only need to hear a few lines from someone to know whether they're a really good writer. Um, because ultimately that has less to do with, can they tell a good story? Cause that's, that's a larger question of like, are they a good storyteller? There's, there's good writers who aren't good storytellers. And it's more like, can they put together a sentence that is just sort of mathematically perfect, that, that has that musicality, that sounds good, that uses words in a way that is interesting? And so you really only need to read a few sentences, and, and that is poetry acting in that language, even though maybe they're writing a newspaper editorial. Maybe it has nothing to do with poetry at all but they're using those poetic techniques and that's what makes their writing feel so good. It's really interesting how like rhythm, the structure of like rhythm and beats make its way into general prose. And, and especially we see it a lot in speeches, right? We talk a lot about like the articulation of a, of a politician or a public figure and then the way they, the way that they speak uh, you know, growing up in, in Baptist churches, there, there's a certain way that you carry that fire and brimstone. There's a certain way in which you, you hit those certain notes. That I remember when I was in 15 years ago living in Massachusetts when I first started acting at all. Like I had never acted before. And I, my friend Adam Smith got me into acting with a local theater company. And then we, uh, I ended up doing a Shakespeare show and I just played like Gardener number two or something. But I remember the guy directing it was really into uh, using first folio. And for those who don't know what that is, is just, it is going to get this slightly wrong so please email me <laughs> um, but it was it has to do with using uh shakespeare's original writings and it's very very committed to the iambic pentameter of shakespeare and i remember learning those beats of the the way every line hits and once he explained it to me he was like we will perform this with those beats you will say those beats out loud you don't act you use the beats to help you act and i thought that that was really wonderful and once i could hear where those beats were hitting you learn it like a song rather than a song you sing rather than a, a character you emote through so i do this other podcast i only listen to the mountain goats and we were just in a recent episode talking about he had this song that was very emotional for him and in the demo version he sang it very emotionally and his producer said to him i think what you need to do here is not emote at all i think you just need to sing the words in the melody and let the song carry the meaning i think if you try to emote it you actually end up diluting that emotion and i actually have that belief about performance that unless you are a, a very very skilled actor the best thing you can possibly do is just say the words. And that goes back to the words themselves, that if the writer has done their job, then the writer has built in the rhythm and the emotion into the words themselves. And so that goes into the poetics of it, that if you write the language correctly, someone can just stand there and as long as they are calm and they are just saying the words, then the feeling of it will be carried through that. You know, you and I with Welcome to Night Vale and, and with most of our shows, we don't direct the actors much. We give very little direction. Uh, we don't do multiple takes for the most part. And part of that is I think we direct through writing. We very carefully write the stuff so that it kind of can only be said the way we want it to be said. That we try to inject the emotion or feeling or rhythm we want into the words themselves so that when the actor goes to do that, it's just built in. And a lot of that is using poetic technique. 
I agree. And I, I think, uh, especially for anything that's going to be performed out loud, whether you're talking about a podcast or a play or a, or a screenplay, uh, is finding uh, those rhythms in there. I mentioned to you before we started recording, but uh, it's something I bring up a lot when we have discussions about writing. But another form of rhythm, it has to do with just pacing in general and, and speaking to prose writing. Because even, you know, we just turned in our third Nightville novel, and that was a really fun adventure. And I, I even writing prose that I know... There'll be an audiobook version of it, but ultimately this is just meant for people to be reading quietly in their own heads. It's hard not to think about the rhythm of the words and how quickly you want to reveal something to somebody, like how quickly uh, you want the impact. If maybe if, if there's a fight and a, and a punch is landed, uh, you, you may not want to spend a long time. It's the decision as the writer, as the rhythm of it. Are we punching? Is that the main thing that's happening? Or is it more somebody is contemplating the punch? Maybe then I'll write 500 words about a punch landing on a person's face. But if the point of the story is, I need to have a fight and I need to have a kick-ass punch happen right here, it's just going to be, and then I got punched in the face. Something about uh, having that pacing there for that, for the prose writer to think about the meter and the rhythm of what they're saying. Yeah, when it comes to writing uh, for the page... Then you have a situation where the writer sets the timing with the words. Like you said, this isn't the way it has to be done, but how I was taught traditionally to do a fast-paced, suspenseful action scene. You want to cut as many adjectives and adverbs as possible so that the sentences, ultimately what you want are very short sentences. So you don't also don't want a bunch of ands or ors. Generally, each action gets its own sentences, short sentences, short paragraphs. And the idea is, because it is structured the way, that is entirely just the mathematics of that, that way of doing that language. It feels fast. It feels like things are moving very fast. Whereas you said, if what you want is this moment where, say, in, a, in like if it was being done in a movie, it might be done by like making everything blurry in slow motion and zooming in on someone's face, where they're like contemplating, do I kill this person? I'm holding the knife. Do I kill them? With words, you could do that by really slowing down the language. Now we have a page-long paragraph that is long sentences, a lot of adjectives, and that slows everything down. So we get that feeling. That stuff, obviously, you can learn. As I said, these are pretty traditional writing techniques. If you read a like how to write book, they will probably bring this stuff up. But a lot of that is is using the techniques of poetry. That any form of writing, but especially poetry, is very interested in what you can do with time by adjusting the rhythm of the language. And that's something I want to talk a lot more about in another episode when we start talking about like number of words you use to build on a thing and also just how to structure structure your tension, structure your story, structure your outline. I'll briefly mention some of the other components of like rhythm and structure and poetry, and they're, they're things we're not going to do a deep dive into because we're not experts on this, and I think they are very specific to poetry. But obviously we have things like meter, pentameter, tetrameter, a very popular five or four beats per line. You uh, can have, you talk briefly about what meter is? Oh, sure. Oh, meter is just the number of beats in a line in a verse of poetry. So when you're writing true poetic verse... And by beats, do you essentially mean syllables? Don't mean syllables. You just mean the beats. So so let's take Poe, and we'll okay. just take the first line of, Once upon a midnight dreary. That is four beats. That is a tetrameter right there in that. That is the what you would call a trochee, where the beat is the first syllable. It's on the one and not the two. Once <laughs> upon a midnight dreary, just kind of one and two and three and four and. Yeah, what's interesting to me is it is, because it goes back to mathematics, it is so closely related to music that yeah. what you're describing is basically a song in 4-4. Four, four. 
which yeah. is like traditional songwriting of just one, two, three, four, one, two. And then basically you are writing a song, but without the melody. The other version of that and the more common one that we're more familiar with is the iamb, the iambic pentameter. Uh, I didn't pull Shakespeare here, but I pulled Robert Browning. So I'll just use one line. Uh, While some discuss if near the other graves. That is five beats in a line. And in, in this one, it's and one and two and three and four and five. It's at the end. So we have a grace note leading into each each beat. Uh, so that is meter. Um, pentameter, tetrameter. I'm sure there's triameter. I don't know my words beyond pentameter and tetrameter. But there are a different number of beats per uh, measure. And then obviously you have couplets. That's just two lines. Next, you know, two lines, they usually rhyme. You have a quatrain. Uh, which is four lines. So we're talking here about structure. We're talking about structure of a verse. Uh, so you can do any number of lines, really, uh, just all kinds of things. I know a sonnet, a Shakespearean sonnet, is a very specifically structured poem. A Shakespearean sonnet tends to be 14 lines long. It tends to be three quatrains, so three verses of four lines each, and that totals 12 lines, and then at last a couplet. And usually the rhyme scheme is something like ABAB, uh, on those quatrains, so first and third lines rhyme, second and fourth lines rhyme, and the last couplet rhymes with itself. Obviously, we've all learned about haikus, which are 17 syllables, not beats, but actually 17 syllables. Um, And then you have things like ballads, which are poems and songs, both ballads tend to be really basic rhyme schemes of ABAB or AABB, and they tend to be told entirely in quatrains. I don't know if that carries over to music, but I remember this somewhere along the lines in poetry. Tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, I, I don't know. Tell me on Twitter if I'm wrong, really. <laughs> There's a um, um, brief side note here, but uh, there is a issue of the quarterly McSweeney's that is worth seeking out if you're interested in these things, which is just them digging up forms of poetry that have died out, that aren't written anymore, and then asking modern writers to write. So they have an example from yes. the to- the contemporary time of the writing of that poem. Say it was a thousand years ago. They're like, here's a poem from a thousand years ago using this long dead form. And then they ask a modern writer to write it. And it's super interesting just to see all these other forms of poetry that we don't think of. Um, I don't actually remember any of them, but... I will have to go look that up. That sounds amazing. It sounds like a super fun project, too, if you want more assignments for yourself, maybe challenge yourself. Well, I do want to talk about... It. I think one of the things that led me to this was last year sometime... The Illusionist podcast put out an episode. It is number 84. It is called Trammels. And it features an interview with Ross Sutherland. And that is how I found out about Ross and his amazing podcast called Imaginary Advice, which I think we've talked about on the show or will talk about. I forget the order in which these episodes happen. But I got introduced in that episode of the univocalic poem, which is a poem that only uses one vowel. It uses it multiple times, but of the A-E-I-O-U, it picks one vowel, and it is only allowed to use that vowel throughout. And and in that episode, Ross talks about writing univocalic poems for each letter or each vowel, and what was interesting is how his relationship to those vowels changed or how it informs a, a personality of each vowel, which is really fun. And I realized in listening to it how much, I think more than anything, of any poetic device that I use more than anything and I think about all the time when I write, whether prose or podcast or play, is assonance, is the, is the sound of repeated vowels. That, that, that sounds similar. That's not truly univocalic because vowels can repeat and have a different sound. But I was just thinking about maybe that's a hip-hop thing. Uh, maybe that's growing up in the 90s with hip-hop. Maybe it was 
Uh, maybe it's just something that my ear is t- tuned to. Uh, but if a preacher or a politician or just somebody on television has the rep- the repetition of a vowel sound, I really love it. I, I wrote down here <laughs> it's the bang- uh, the song Bangerang from Doomtree, and I just love the... Uh, I'm doing it exactly how they perform it. Yeah. So, so just know that this is a perfect imitation of the song. But when they say like, but some punks want to jump up with a sharp tongue and their fronts up. I love the repeated sound in that. When, when people do that in any form of writing, it really, it really perks my ears up. So talking here about rhyme for a second, you know, generally you don't want to put rhyme into prose, uh, because it will stand out a bit. Like often you'll even go through and you'll be like, I accidentally ended these two sentences with things that rhymed, and that's just going to feel a little weird looking at it. Uh, but assonance can be really, really interesting because just using these similar sounding vowel sounds throughout can really give, as you say, a meter to it. Yeah. It can give a rhythm that the reader feels when they read it um, that provides, if you think of writing as setting a time for the reader, if you think of writing as like, this is this is telling you how long this is, then a meter is a way of doing that. A meter is a, is a way of setting the beat by yeah. which that story is being told. I think about it like unifying elements, like when I'm writing, like if, if I have matching vowel sounds, and it doesn't have to, you know, reading the, the Doomtree thing, I mean, like that's very much... That's very much a common practice in hip hop and even in, in in a lot of poetry too, because it is sort of it can sound really beautiful or it can sound really aggressive or it can it can really accentuate the beats. But even normal writing, just having subtle things where you maybe have three words in a sentence that all have an F in them, of having that um, that consonance, you know, of just repeating that. It, to me, I think about it like if you're decorating a room in your house, it's something like I painted my walls uh, just a very light mauve. It's very beautiful. And so it'd be nice to bring out like maybe some like deeper browns or violets uh, in the couch cushions. It just highlights something that's there. It's not you know, there's a practice of not being too gauche. Having rhyming sentences in prose can distract your reader. Uh, but having little moments of consonants where you have a repetition of a consonant sound or assonance, repetition of a vowel sound, I think does really color a room. And it just creates little pops of color throughout that I think match your overall scheme. I do want to provide a one counterexample uh, to what sure. I was saying, which is the great writer David Mitchell in the book, and I'm going to mispronounce the name because it's a Dutch name and I don't know how it's said, but it's uh, The Thousand Autumns of Jacob de Zoet. I think it's Z-O-E-T. I'm going to go with um, that. And towards the end, he has a lengthy paragraph. It's it's probably like a couple pages long of just one continuous paragraph. And I had never noticed this until someone else pointed it out to me, that that entire paragraph is rhyming couplets. It's not written as rhyming couplets. It's written as prose. It, every bit of image rhymes with the bit of image after it. Um, and so there is this freedom there of if you want to put rhyme into prose you can and it doesn't automatically make it poetry that's still a chapter of a novel it actually had a story purpose it was part of the story he also decided to give it that rhythm of that rhyme i think that's really amazing i I think it's really fun when you can find those ways to slip in because as you say like in prose writing or even like in in podcast writing it can be a little tough unless you call attention to the fact that your character is speaking in a couplet it is difficult to to wedge that in there but it is really fun when you find a way to put something that uh, something that stands out that much, like mm-hmm. rhyming couplets, and put it into prose in a way that feels natural and beautiful um, and striking. Um, I was uh, I was just showing. You oh, real. thank you so much. Oh, thank you. That's beautiful. Um, I won't. I can't tell you what Joseph just showed me. It's so striking. <laughs> 
I, I don't have words to describe it, but it's <laughs> awesome. It is the Pulp Fiction briefcase. Look at that with timely references. So uh, I wanted to say, that was the other question I had too, is, is that I was thinking about like alliteration is another version of this where you start with the same consonant sound um, at the beginning of words. I was just thinking about like when we did the touring show for Night Vale, the librarian, I remember we had the line in there and I remember writing this line and I was being sort of cute with it of like where Cecil is describing something about leaving us all as pink pulpy piles of post existence. And then it just became kind of like their, uh, their mic check sound because he could check for the pop on the mics at all of the theaters um but lightville live shows we can have moments where we're being a little tongue-in-cheek or being a little cute um with stuff like that like do you have a, a sense of like when you've overstepped like how do you know it's okay to put a rhyming couplet into your prose in some sense, you don't know until you try it and you see if it works. I think that's a lot of the approach we're trying to encourage with this show, is rather than worrying about, will this work, just try doing it and seeing if it does. You know, try writing a paragraph into your novel that's a rhyming couplet and see if it does. And if you do it right, I mean, as I said, I had no idea it was rhyming couplets because it functioned so well as a paragraph that I hadn't noticed that he had hidden that into it until someone else told me. You can also think of it, though, as sometimes you want to put in things that are very noticeable, and those can be little gifts to the reader. You know, those can be like, this is a fun little word game I'm going to do. I don't have a good example for that other than like, I mean, uh, the most famous version of this in that in its extremes is something like House of Leaves which is a book full of all sorts of strange formatting and word games that is designed to be like kind of playing with the reader of like, I don't want to diminish it by calling it like a word search, but there is this sense of like finding these hidden things and finding these word games is sort of part of the experience of the book. Or with something like what you're talking about, the pink pulpy piles of post-existence, something like that when you're writing for a performer, what you're ultimately doing there is giving them a gift Mm -hmm. because you're giving them a when you write poetic things into a performer's script, you are giving them some fun word stuff to play with. It's fun as a performer to say pink pulpy piles of post-existence. And so you can think of wordplay like that as a gift to your performer if you are writing for one. I started feeling a little tickled there because I'm just imagining walking up to Cecil with a, with a script and being like, it's a gift <laughs> for you from me. <laughs> I'm going to do that next time. (laughs) It's going to be great. It's going to go over super well. Um, I think that's a great place to wrap it up. Uh, We have covered the entire history of poetry and taught you all of the uh, the techniques used by the master poets. Yeah. Actually, I want to add one more thing, if that's okay. This is something that that made me think of. This will be very brief. Um, But I just wanted to go back to music, right? Because there's a lot of correlation between music and poetics. And one thing is music as we said, is very mathematical. And so there is a vast field of music theory. Mm-hmm. And music theory is very complicated. I, I was raised by a professional musician. I've been around music my entire life. And I am still feel very confused by music theory. I just don't. I have a really hard time wrapping my head around music theory. That said, I can still write songs. And lots of people who write songs don't know understand the theory they're using. I, I think the thing is, Poetics has a huge amount of theory to it and a huge amount of uh, structure and a huge amount of thought that's been put into it. And you can learn all about that, and I encourage you to do that. Um, It'll probably make you a better poet. But I think also not knowing that stuff shouldn't discourage you from trying to play with it. In the same way that you could pick up a guitar and learn three chords and just try putting together a song, 
you don't actually have to understand the music theory you're using. I think in the same way, you can play with this poetic stuff. You can be like, I'm just going to try and use this one vowel, or I'm going to try and repeat this one vowel sound. And you don't necessarily have to understand the theory underneath it. And, and you don't have to feel like you're not good enough at it because you don't understand the theory beneath it. I'm glad you added that because that, that really was, I think, the whole idea of like kind of talking through some of the poetics in this episode, which was to feel like that's the whole point of the show, which is it wants you to experiment with things and play with things and see how those things go and try them out for yourself. I don't think you have to be an expert poet to use poetry uh, really effectively. Uh, let's take a break and we'll come back with some assignments. Sounds good. Hello, Joseph here. I have two books coming out this year. Seriously, May 11th, 2021. The first 10 years, two sides of the same love story. So there is a love story that happened behind the scenes of Welcome to Night Vale between me and Meg Bashwinner, MC and tour manager for the live Night Vale show. In this memoir, we recount the first 10 years of our relationship year by year without consulting each other beforehand. It's a funny and romantic story about how differently we experience and remember our lives. Then on July 20th, 2021, the Halloween Moon, my first ever novel for ages 10 and up. Esther Gold loves Halloween, until the year that Halloween night just won't end. Even she doesn't want Halloween to last forever. No matter your age, if you are a fan of what I do, I think you're going to love this book. Get these books wherever you get your books. Welcome back. It is time for your assignments. I am going to give you something to consume. I'm going to give you a poem to read called Ballad in A by Kathy Park Hong. It is on the Poetry Foundation website. You can go to poetryfoundation.org and search Ballad in A, or just check the show notes and we'll have a link to that. The Poetry Foundation also did a feature article on Kathy Park Hong and uh, particularly this poem as well as some of her other work. Uh, but they focus in that article a little bit on the univocalic. That is what Ballad in A is. It is a ballad. It is all four-line verses. Um, and it uh, kind of dives into like the Old West trope in American history. And it uh, also uses only the vowel A throughout. And I would encourage you to read it aloud to yourself if you are in a place where you can read it aloud without getting stares. But it's, it's really fun to hear how that A sound changes throughout. And also just sort of the personality and tone of the vowel A. Check out the article uh, about... Kathy Park Hong as well. That's just a few minute read. And, uh, and it'll give you some great insight into the univocalic uh, and also into this really amazing poet. Great. And for your create assignment, uh, what we want you to do is write a four line poem. And we want you to write it as a univocalic. So this is where you are picking a vowel and you are only using that vowel. Uh, so you choose the vowel, uh, choose a vowel that you know you get along with. And finally, you're going to make it rhyme. Now, for some of you, this is going to maybe feel easy, and that's great. And if you do that, then I think try to do more. And try to do maybe, if you really want to challenge yourself, one for all five vowels. For some of you, this is going to feel really overwhelming. Um, it is very difficult to write four lines in univocalic and to do it and make it rhyme. But I would encourage you to just give it a shot. Here's the thing. It doesn't have to be good. It just has to be done. And I think really... <laughs> you don't get a grade in this podcast. We We aren't currently grading you, and so... Yeah, I, I think really, even if you don't think of yourself as a poet, 
especially if you don't think of yourself as a poet, I would encourage you to give this a try. If you do think of yourself as a poet, if you are one of our listeners who is a graduate student in poetry, and this is very simple, then um, there are degrees of difficulty you can put on yourself if you want. For instance, you can get into traditional meters. You can you know, look up some traditional meters, or if you're a graduate student in poetry, you already know them, and just try writing these four lines in different traditional meters. But if not, just four lines, univocalic, it rhymes. That's beautiful, and I love it. And if you're really good at poetry, make a whole bunch of these. I love reading univocalic poems. It's great. That's all for this episode, but your assignment is just beginning. Head on over to startwiththispodcast.com to join our membership community. Becoming a member allows you to share your assignments with other listeners, talk about what's sparking your creativity, and maybe find future collaborators. Plus, you'll be able to ask follow-up questions about this and future episodes and gain exclusive access to episodes where we answer those questions. Membership is just $5. That's like two sprigs of cilantro in New York City or an entire cilantro farm in California. We can't wait to see what you're working on. Start With This is a production of Night Vale Presents. It's produced by Julia Melfi, editing by Grant Stewart, mixing by Vincent Cachione, theme song by Joseph Fink, and it was performed this episode by Mike Lynch. If you'd like your own cover of the theme song featured on this show, email us at startwiththis at nightvalepresents.com or post it on our members' message board. All other music is by Caged Animals. Find more at cagedanimals.net. Very special thanks to Adam Cecil and Christy Gressman. Check out nightvalepresents.com for more information about this show and all of our other shows. Thanks for listening. Uh, all right, well, we're going to close out the show. Thank you guys so much. And as the old saying goes... I'm a poet, and I didn't even Show remember to get a half and poem. half at the store. Thanks, you guys. Thanks. From the creators of Welcome to Night Vale, Alice Isn't Dead, and within the wires comes a new Audible original, Unlicensed. In the outskirts of Los Angeles, where the cul-de-sacs and strip malls sprawl into the desert, two unlicensed private investigators scrape by on whatever small cases come their way. But when a teenage girl pleads for them to take the strangest case of their career, this unlikely pair, with no resources and no backup, will follow a trail of seemingly unconnected cases, which will lead them to a ransom, a murder, a mysterious wellness center, and a conspiracy that might go all the way to the governor. It's important to catch small fires early. They don't stay small for long. Unlicensed. Available now at audible.com slash unlicensed.